Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. up know it all get stuff you don't need to know i'm jay let's get down to it so if you've been listening to the podcast you know the last couple of episodes i've done have been musical in nature i gave you my top six drummers i gave you my top six bass players a little bit of a spoiler alert here uh, my top guitarists list will be coming soon i'm kind of crafting the list it's not as easy as you think it would be there's a lot of great contenders out there to get on that list and uh yeah, I'm kind of finalizing it. I just really want to make sure it's perfect. But I figured before um, before I do, you know, my top guitarists, I figured let's do something a little bit fun that's also kind of musical. So today I'm going to give you a list of my top eight fictional bands. So these are bands that you have seen on movies and TV. And, you know, each one of these bands here is, is on here for different reasons. You know, they could be really great musically. They could just be a lot of fun. They could be a nice combination of both of them. And, you know, like I said, it's it's pretty much, you know, these are the bands that I really like. There's a lot of them out there. Um, some of your favorites not, might not be on this list. Uh, some bands you never heard of might be on this list. You know, it's something fun, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. But before I get into that list, uh, there's, there is a band that I kind of struggled. I was like, I wasn't sure if I should put them on or not, um, just because I wasn't really quite sure of their status as a fictional band, and that's the Blues Brothers. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I, I did an episode on the Blues Brothers movie, and, and I talked extensively about how great the movie is and how great the Blues Brothers as a band was. But when it came time to make this list, I really wasn't quite sure, you know, if I should include them or not. And the reason being is that, yes, you know, they came from Saturday Night Live. Uh, they were in they were in their movie, The Blues Brothers. Um, there is no sequel. That is an Internet rumor. I think it was uh, disgraceful, disgraceful that the intelligence agencies allowed any information that turned out to be so false and fake out. I think it's a disgrace. There is nothing called Blues Brother 2000. That is uh, that's a dirty lie. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to perpetuate that lie. But, you know, they were made up of real musicians, um, you know, and John Belushi actually was a pretty decent singer. I mean, in high school, college, he sang in different bands and everything. And they did put out a record that I believe it went platinum, you know, probably multi-platinum. So I wasn't really quite sure, but let me, let's, let me just say this, that if I wasn't really a stickler about it, if I was just going to say, ah, I'll let these guys on, they would definitely finish uh, close to the top. So without further ado, let's get into it. These are my top eight fictional bands from movies and TV. All right. So coming in at number eight is a band that... Their music is great, and I just think that even though we don't see a lot of them in this TV show, when they do appear, they're kind of cool. Um, and it's Dingo's Ate My Baby from the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
And, you know, the reason I put these guys on the list is they're probably not that well known. You know, when you're thinking of fictional bands, uh, this band might not come up. Because like I said, they're not really heavily featured on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know, yes, Oz, you know, does play guitar for them. He's one of the founding members of the band. And of course, he's a member of the Scooby gang as well. I mean, that is the tie-in. And, you know, when there are scenes in the Bronze, which is the club that was in Sunnydale, you know, they're pretty much, I don't know, like, I don't know if they're the house band, but, you know, they, they always seem to be playing there. And... It's it's just I, I really think that the band really fit well with the aesthetic of the show. Um, they definitely have that early 90s feel to them, kind of like an alternative, you know, kind of feel to them. And the interesting thing is, is I believe, you know, when I was kind of looking up on it uh, there, there's actually in all the episodes that they were in, they probably played about four or five different songs. And these songs were written and actually performed by uh, a band called Four Star Mary. And, you know, you could find them on Spotify and you should definitely check them out. It's a great listen. But I just really felt like, first of all, the name is so cool. You know, Dingo's Ain't My Baby. You know, of course, reference to um, that incident that took place in Australia where, you know, a woman's child was snatched by a pack of dingoes. And in the movie, that was kind of, I think... Actually, I think it was Meryl Streep played the mother in the movie. And, you know, that that's the famous line that she says is, you know, Dingo's ate my baby. And, you know, it's it's just a really cool name. And when you see um, when you kind of see promotional flyers for the band and stuff, you know, they got a pretty kind of funny logo of a baby carriage with a cartoon dingo in it. I mean, I just like I said, Oz was a pretty cool character. The aesthetic of the band definitely fit the show. Uh, the music definitely fit the show. And that's why they're coming in at number eight. Okay, so coming in at number seven is a band that I don't really think I'm going to put them up here musically. Um, these, This was just a very fun band because the songs that are kind of attributed to them are, you know, really songs from other artists that they're kind of, I mean... You know, they're passing them off as their songs, um, but, you know, it's really just they're just really kind of well, they're not really a cover band. I mean, we're to assume that they wrote these songs. And, you know, the thing is, is this band pretty much was supposed to save the world. Now, I didn't see the most recent movie. I don't know if they did end up saving the world or not. But of course, I'm talking about Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan, Wild Stallions. I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire, and I'm Ted Th oh, Bill, here, let me take it. Okay. And I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Yeah! And we're Wild Stallions! And like I said, you know, these guys aren't here for their musical ability because pretty much for the first two movies, for like 90% of these, you know, of, of the two movies combined, they can't even hack it. They can't play an instrument. We never really hear them sing. I mean, they're just all attitude. And I think that's why I love Wild Stallions so much is the fact that, you know, Bill and Ted really believed in, you know, the idea of Wild Stallions so much that even though we never really hear them play until the very end of Bogus Journey after they use the time machine to get, was it like 18 months of intensive guitar lessons? 
you, you know, it's it's just the attitude that they have, the fact that they, they were just so confident, like they just knew, they just knew they were going to make it. And I think, you know, that's kind of a good thing about a band is is just, you know, attitude does have to be a big part of a band and attitude for the Wild Stallions is, is definitely a part of it. And look, you got death on bass. I mean, you can't beat that when the Grim Reaper himself is, you know, slapping the bass. I can't believe I've never told you I play bass. Really? Oh, yeah. I slapped the bass big time. You know, that's that just makes up for a killer band. And that's why they're in at number seven. All right, coming in at number six is this band is a lot of fun and it is from a great TV show. So let me ask you this. If you took Matchbox 20 and The Fray and the lead singer did a very over-the-top impersonation of Eddie Vedder, you, of course, get Mouse Rat. The band has had a few different names over the years. We started, we were Teddy Bear Suicide, but then we changed it to Mouse Rat. Uh, then we were God Hates Figs, Department of Homeland Obscurity, Flames for Flames, Muscle Confusion, Nothing Rhymes with Orange, uh, then Everything Rhymes with Orange, Punch Face Champions, Rad Wagon, Puppy Pendulum, Possum Pendulum, Penis Pendulum, Handrail Suicide, Angel Snack, Just the Tip, Three Skin, uh, Jet Black Pope. We went back to Mouse Rat and now we are Scarecrow Boat. God, when I hear myself say Scarecrow Boat out loud, I kind of hate it. Yeah, Mouse Rat from Parks and Rec. I mean, this band is just a lot of fun. Kind of like Bill and Ted, we don't really hear a lot from them. I mean, you know, Andy, you know, who of course is played by Chris Pratt, Andy will mention a lot of their different songs, and we never really, you know, we kind of catch the tail ends or the beginnings of some of their songs. I mean, their big hit, of course, is, you know, 5,000 Candles in the Wind, the tribute to Little Sebastian. But um, really, other than that, we don't really hear much from them. But, I mean, again, like Bill and Ted, they got the attitude for it. And when you got a front man like Andy Dwyer, I mean, you know, this band is definitely going places, you know. <laughs> it's just, he he just believes in it so much, even though he's totally incompetent, totally inept. When I first started watching Parks and Rec, and Andy's talking about Mouse Rat, and we hear it, and it comes time to actually see them perform, I thought, like, okay, we're going to get a Bill and Ted situation here where they're just absolutely inept or the band itself is really really good and andy's just a big goof and no they're actually a really really good band and i love the fact that chris pratt kind of goes with you know his vocal performance is like i said an over-the-top eddie vetter i mean with with his vocalizations and everything i mean you just gotta love him and the fact that you know they have a song called sex hair i mean which we never hear but you know i'm sure i'm actually kind of surprised that they never actually put that out i mean i would actually like to hear that song but like i said this band's a lot of fun i think chris pratt does a great job of playing andy dwyer and you're really pulling it off and you know and that's why these guys come in on my list at number six okay so this band coming in at number five was just this was one of the first um, well the blues brothers you know but uh, all right okay look I kind of already tackled the whole Blues Brothers controversy, but um, this band was probably one of the first fictional bands that I could remember seeing in the movies or on TV, and it's Eddie and the Cruisers. Can I help you guys? Yeah. Help Tony. Eddie and the Cruisers are here. 
This was a great movie. And again, just like the Blues Brothers, apparently there's this internet rumor that there was a sequel. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to support that. And I'm not going to, you know, put out that, you know, false flag, that false information out there. There was no Eddie 2, Eddie and the Cruisers 2. No, there was only one film. Eddie and the Cruisers was an amazing film about pretty much a bar band from New Jersey in the 60s that was trying to make it. The lead singer, you know, Eddie was, he had some different ideas about music, you know, where most of the band members were just kind of like in it for the fun of it. And, you know, hey, let's just kind of play some good old rock and roll here. Eddie wanted to do something different. You know, Eddie was, he very much, you know, even though you're, he's kind of presented as this guy from Jersey, you know, he was a visionary. He had ideas. And when he meets Tom Berenger's character, who he labels, you know, word man, who's like, uh, he's like an English major at college. And he tells him, you know, uh, Eddie tells him that, you know, it's not the music. It's, it's, you know, the words, it's the words and the music together. And, you know, Tom Berenger's character is the guy that pens on the dark side. And, you know, he, he kind of plays it off as like this very poetic ballad. But, you know, Eddie hears the potential in it and really turns it into a really good rocking tune. And, you know, if you watch that movie, the first movie, well, nope, the only movie because there is no sequel, as I said. So, you know, when you watch Eddie and the Cruisers, you see that when they, you know, they get a record deal, they put out their first record, which is kind of like your typical early 60s rock kind of album. When he goes in to do the second one, he wants to do something more experimental. And I believe, I believe the song, it's called like, it's not Season of the Witch because that's Donovan. I think it's like Season in Hell, I actually think it's called. And if you get the soundtrack album, it's, it's, it's like, I don't think it's a bonus track. I actually think it is on there. And it's a really, really good song. But for that early 60s, you know, it's, it's like Michael J. Fox says in Back to the Future, you know, guys aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. And, you know, I mean, they're a great band, you know, they're more than a bar band. You know, Eddie was definitely a visionary. Uh, the music is great because of course, you know, all the songs were written and performed by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band. And again, you got Tom Berenger, you know, penning all these songs, you can't go wrong. And that's why Eddie and the Cruisers come in at number five. All right, we're almost towards the top here. And this next band that comes in, there's a lot of different versions of this band. And I'm going to focus on the movie version. Of course, I'm talking about Josie and the Pussycats. One, two, one, two, three. Well, he looks at me with those innocent eyes and says it looks like you're wearing some kind of disguise because your hair sticks up, your shoes are untied. I hope that you've got that shirt at half price. Like I said, look, they're in the comics. They had a cartoon. No, I'm sorry. They had two cartoon shows, Josie and the Pussycats and Pussycats in Outer Space. They're on Riverdale. And of course, there was like an early 2000s movie with, I believe it's Rachel Lee Cook and Rosario Dawson and Tara Reid. And that's the one that I'm going to focus on. So like I said, uh, number four is Josie and the Pussycats. Because around this time, you know, the girl rocker, the riot girl, the whole thing was happening. And, you know, I, I think this version of Josie and the Pussycats, it really kind of took that wholesome Archie comics feel to it. 
brought it into the modern age. And it was sort of like, you know, instead of Josie and the Pussycats being like bubblegum pop and everything, you know, what if they had a little anger and a little angst to them, you know, a little bit of an edge. And it's, 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 it's a great movie. I mean, is it Oscar worthy? No, definitely not. I mean, it's a great commentary on what was going on in the late nineties and the early two thousands with music and with pop culture and everything, you know, how everything was really very corporate and, you know, it's all geared to get that, you know, that younger generation to buy everything. And, you know, that that's all it really was. And the movie and everything just really pokes fun at that. I mean, they even just kind of poke fun at themselves and it's a great movie. It's a great trip. And, you know, again, like some of the other bands on this list, you know, all three ladies learned how to play their instruments. They actually, you know, could really perform. And I mean, that's something I really, really like, you know, some of these earlier movies that I talked about, you know, especially Eddie and the cruisers, you know, none of them were musicians. They had John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. And, and I mean, and that's fine. And that's all well and good. But I think it's really, really cool when, you know, the actors really get into the roles. You know, they learn how to play the instruments and they actually do a really good job of it, I feel. I mean, you know, there was a soundtrack for this movie, which is mostly Josie and the Pussycat songs. I believe there is a song on there from Alan M., who was Josie's boyfriend. But, you know, the songs are very, very catchy. I mean, you know, are they kind of, I don't know if, I don't know if the right word is overproduced. I mean, are they a bit predictable? Yeah, they kind of are. But you know what? They're very, very catchy and they're a lot of fun. And of course, at the end of the movie, they do their version of the Josie and the Pussycats theme song. And I think it totally kicks ass. And that's why Josie and the Pussycats come in at number four. All right, we've entered the top three. And before I kind of announce who the top three are, I would just like to say that these three bands are bands that if they were not in the movies or TV or, you know, wherever we're going to find them, these are bands that I would really love to see live, like kind of hope or kind of wish that they would be real bands. I think they are that good. Okay, so the band at number three is really the epitome of an 80s heavy metal band, and that's Steel Dragon from the movie Rockstar. I saw this movie. It was an incredible movie. It's kind of loosely based on what happened with Judas Priest. Uh, so Judas Priest, the lead singer was Rob Halford. He left the band and they replaced him with a singer in a Judas Priest tribute band who almost exactly sounded like Rob Halford. In fact, he even recorded, I, I know, at least one, if not two albums with Judas Priest before Rob Halford returned. And that's what we find in Steel Dragon. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is, you know, he's he's a fan of Steel Dragon and he is the lead singer in a tribute band. And he is almost a spot on impersonator for the original lead singer of Steel Dragon. 
he gets booted out of the band band discovers you know tapes of mark Wahlberg, you know at concerts you know tribute concerts and everything they audition him and he is now the new lead singer of steel dragon so i grew up in this time period you know the 80s were really when i went from my teens into going into college and you know hair metal heavy metal dominated the landscape um from the early 80s pretty much into the early 90s and that's really what that film covers this film kind of covers metal when it was really at its high point in the mid to late 80s to kind of its waning period towards the beginning of the 90s the look of this band is spot on i mean they really capture the look they really capture the attitude and the songs are absolutely amazing now Mark Wahlberg does not perform anything, even at the end when we see him in a grunge band, which I think it's just called the Chris Cole Band or Chris Cole and his friends or something like that. He's not even singing that one. He's He doesn't really sing throughout all this, but that's okay because, you know, singing heavy metal, uh, especially, you know, the songs that Steel Dragon does, and since they're also kind of basing it on Judas Priest, I mean, Rob Halford has an incredible voice. He has an incredible range. Um, the lead singer, the original lead singer of Steel Dragon was kind of molded after him. So there's absolutely no way you're going to find an actor that can even come close to like this vocal range. So I, I believe it's actually Miles Teller, I think, that that did a lot of the singing for it. And in fact, towards the end of the movie, when uh, Mark Wahlberg's character, Izzy, or well, Chris Cole, they call him Izzy in the band, when he realizes he wants to leave, he he pulls this kind of guy up on stage who's singing just like him, and he kind of hands the mic to him like, you take over, that's actually Miles Teller. No, I'm sorry, Miles Teller's the actor. Okay, that's a blunder right there. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Miles Kennedy, sorry about that. Wow, good thing I caught that. Um, so like I said, I think Miles Kennedy does a lot of the singing in this movie and, and, and again, look, it's absolutely fine. Uh, the backup band is pretty much made up of entirely, you know, competent musicians. Uh, the drummer is actually Jason Bonham, son of Led Zeppelin drummer, John Bonham. And like I said, if you want to know what the music scene was like in the late, like the mid to late eighties, just watch Rockstar and take a look at Steel Dragon, and this is why these guys come in at number three. Okay, so this band that comes in at number two is from a movie that I really enjoyed. My daughter really, like, this This is a family movie, and we all really, really loved it. Now, the band is kind of featured in here. It's not really the main point of this movie, like, you know, Josie and the Pussycats or Eddie and the Cruisers, but they're in there. They do do a number, and it does kind of feature into the plot. So the band coming in at number two is Pink Slip from the movie Freaky Friday Night. Ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the stage the next act in the KISS FM Wango Tango auditions. From right here in Los Angeles, let's give it up for Pink Slip. This is the remake. This is the Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday. She plays in the band. And, you know, when when we saw this movie and we saw the two musical numbers that they do, it's absolutely incredible. Now, I'm not quite sure if, like some of the other bands on this list, like if all the actors um, who were in the band, if they actually learned how to play their instruments, I don't think... Um, 
I don't think Lindsay Lohan learned how to play the guitar. But the lead singer um, is an actress named Christine Vidal, who, you know, has done some singing. She had her own show on Nickelodeon, I believe, um, in the early or mid-90s. And she, you know, did some singing. So that actually is her singing on the couple of tracks that we do here. But again, for this sort of early 2000s, you know, much like Josie and the Pussycats, you know, Pang Slip really kind of captured that look and feel of what was going on there musically. They're a total garage band. They got a little bit of a grunge edge to them. Um, And again, yeah, the songs are kind of like manufactured and really geared maybe more towards like kids and tweens and things like that. But you know what? Not for nothing. They're really, really catchy. It's a lot of fun. They got a great look. And that's why Pink Slip comes in at number two. All right. We made it to number one. Time for the big reveal. Who's coming in at number one? Well, this band is a trio from Canada. It's not Rush. No, it's Sex Babam from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Okay, let's start with Launchpad McQuack. Uh, that's not the actual title of this. We are Sex Babam! One, two, three, four! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lemonade the stasis. I mean, first of all, absolutely love this movie. Love Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I love all the musical tie-ins. I love all the video game tie-ins. And again, much like a lot of the bands that we see in these other movies, they really kind of capture the time period for where they were in. I mean, this is such a fun band to listen to. There's a lot of music on the soundtrack coming from them. And like I said, like with Josie and the Pussycats and a couple of the other ones on here, all the actors learned how to play their instruments. The interesting thing is, is actually Michael Sarah, who plays Scott Pilgrim, who plays bass. He slaps the bass. I can't believe I've never told you I play bass. Really? Oh, yeah. I slap the bass big time. He is an accomplished bass player. He actually had to dumb down his bass playing for the movie to kind of get on the level of everybody else in the band. Um... But it's just, they have a really great sound. They have a really great look. Um, I love the fact, you know, the lead singer, Stephen Stills, who, of course, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Stephen Stills, um, you know, he's just wants to be successful, sign a record contract, and make a lot of money, and just totally freaks out. You know, Kim has a love-hate relationship with Scott. Scott is, Scott Pilgrim is Scott Pilgrim, what can I say? But, you know, the scenes that we see them in where they're playing, you know, um, in the beginning when they start the battle of the bands, um, when they have um, the Amp versus Amp battle with the Kakashi twins, um, it's just great, great stuff. They have a great look to them. And like I said, the actors learned how to play. That's them performing and they're having a ton of fun doing it. And this is why Sex Bavam comes in at number one on this list. Guys, thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys later. You remember when you were young and you wanted to say.